Hi, everyone. I'm Devin McDonald, a partner at OpenView, where I spend a lot of time talking to both aspiring and serial board members. This season on Build, we're talking about the journey to the boardroom. Each week, I'll speak with executives who will share their unique stories and insights to help you either consider what type of persona to bring onto your board if you're a CEO, and or help you think through what your path will be to get to the boardroom as an independent director. Now, on with the show. I'm so excited today to introduce Steve Collins and Bill Conroy. Thank you so much for joining the Build Podcast. For a number of years now, you both have sat on the board of Instructure, which is one of OpenView's investments that went public in 2015. In light of this connection, we thought it would be kind of fun to have you on the podcast together. Steve, your background is obviously finance. You served as the CFO of Exact Target during their incredible run. As we all know, they IPO'd and then not long thereafter had a $2.5 billion acquisition by Salesforce. Bill, you spent a number of years as a sales leader at Oracle and then president and CEO of Initiate Systems, which had a successful sale to IBM. So you have two very different skill sets and paths to get to the boardroom, but you're obviously now very successful and sit on a number of boards. So excited to hear your stories today. Bill, let's talk about the early days in your career. Where did you start, you know, right out of school? And what were the operator roles that helped you really prepare for becoming an effective board member? Well, I'm old, so that was a long time ago, (laughs) so get ready. So out of school, I went to IBM as a sales guy for six years. I sold big systems to big companies. So I started to be a complex enterprise selling and kind of go-to-market guy. And that has been a constant throughout my career career. I've kind of stayed with enterprise selling. And I think that has made me attractive as a director. And then after IBM, I joined Oracle in sales when Oracle was a little company. It was $40 million pre-IPO company. And Oracle's revenues doubled for the next 11 years. There was so much growth. And at the time, so few kind of proven software executives available to hire that I kept being promoted whether I was ready or not. So I ended up running a big organization, a billion-dollar-plus organization in my 30s. So Oracle was actually my best entrepreneurial experience, although Oracle doesn't sound entrepreneurial. For me, it was. And we kind of made it up as we went and were able to run organizations very independently. So it was a great experience. And Oracle was kind of a right place, right time experience that gave me exceptional high-growth kind of operational experience when I was young. At Oracle, I started being asked to go on boards. And while at Oracle, I did go on one public board. That was my first board experience while I was still an operator at Oracle. And then I left Oracle and was a president of a Salt Lake-based software company, which did well also. In two years, we increased the revenue from around $14 to around $100 And we went public. So I got another entrepreneurial growth story under my belt and an IPO experience to my resume that I think, looking back, made me attractive as a director also. Then I joined the venture world. I became a venture partner with a large venture capital company in New York called Insight Capital. In that role, I went on four or five boards and advised a handful of other companies. So it was a really neat experience for me. I got exceptional experience with a large variety of startups, and I started to learn you know, how to appropriately coach a CEO. And I did so mostly by passing on an operating cadence and some best practices that I had developed over what had become by then a pretty long career. I became the president and a director of one of Insight's public portfolio companies. And then I left to be a CEO at a startup. And as a CEO, I think one big thing in terms of the board is I learned how to manage my own board. And I had a really colorful board. 
is kind of tricky. So this was a valuable experience. And we did grow the company fast from 7 million over 100 and went through the S1 process twice. And while going through it the second time, we got so much M&A interest that we created a kind of an auction environment that resulted in IBM buying us. Mm. So I really got you know, great experience there. And after I left, after IBM kept me for a year, actually, why I was at IBM, I started getting asked to be on boards. And I was introduced to companies primarily by venture capital. And that was nine years ago. And since then, I've been on seven or eight boards. Question, when you were at Oracle, and you said that you were getting sort of board interest, where were those coming from? Were those coming from recruiters, VCs, just folks in the network? It was folks in the network. It was not venture capital at that time. You know, as an executive at Oracle, I rubbed shoulders with a lot of our partners at Oracle and was actually a partner who asked me to go on their board. Got it. And Steve, I'd like to pivot to your story. Can you tell us a little bit about the early days of your career and how that prepared you for becoming a board member? Sure. Well, similar to Bill, I started my career with more of a big company focus. Before business school, I was an engineer at General Motors. And then after business school, I spent almost a decade at Disney, where I got most of my finance training, moved around to a lot of different finance leadership roles, both at the corporate level and at the parks and resorts segment. And then it was kind of after that where I think I got the experience that was more relevant to me being a board member of pre-IPO companies and helping them become public, which I've been able to do several times now. So it was after Disney, I joined Navtech, a digital mapping company. I joined them as VP of finance, which is what I was when they went public. Very successful IPO. I later became CFO of Navtech. And then we sold the company to Nokia in a very successful exit, $8 billion, which in the end was more than Nokia was worth after they kind of lost a lot of their handset market share. So after that experience, I kind of replicated it again. I went to a company called Exact Target, one of the early SaaS companies, specifically marketing automation, joined them as CFO. Shortly after joining, we went public, another successful IPO. And then similar to Navtech, another multi-billion dollar sale. We sold it to Salesforce in 2014. And I think that experience of going through two IPOs, having two successful exits as well, that was kind of the key for me and being attractive to boards. And my niche is that I love to join them pre-IPO rather than after they're already public and love to help with the IPO process and just helping get the company ready to transition from private to public. And so after Exact Target, I was actually at the time was expecting to just jump to the next CFO role. And that's mainly where I was interviewing. But then I started getting some inquiries about board roles. And after talking to people like Bill, because Bill was actually on the first board I joined and talking to him about what he's been doing, I realized, hey, I can kind of make a career out of just doing boards. And at the time, I was only 49. And I didn't think that was an age where I would be doing only boards. But I just love the idea of helping a lot of companies versus just taking a CFO job at one company. So I've been doing that for the past four years. I pretty quickly joined five boards. Three of those companies did have very successful IPOs. And then one of them already sold to Salesforce as well. That was MuleSoft. And then the other two companies that got public, Shopify in Canada and Instructure in Salt Lake City. Super impressive. We admire those companies very much. I know OpenView's portfolio companies admire them as well. So Steve, you started exploring board seats once you had left 
exact target. And Bill, you had some direct roles while you were still an operator. What do you think are the pros and cons of those approaches and anything you would have done differently? I probably, had I known it was an option to join a board that early in my career while at exact target, I probably would have done one just Mm -hmm. to have the experience and kind of be in that mode before jumping into it more permanently or full time after leaving exact target. So I can't say it was a conscious decision to wait until after I left exact target to do boards. What type of board do you think you would have joined? What type of company would have been beneficial to your role as an operator? Would have been an earlier stage company or perhaps a larger company? Yeah, well, having been through the two IPOs, I still would have liked to get a pre-IPO company, you know, anywhere from one to three years before they go public. That's kind of what I've always focused on and will continue to focus on as I take on additional board seats. Bill, you talked a bit earlier about leveraging your network to find board opportunities. Sounds like in your earlier days, a lot of the partner organizations that you were working with were coming to you with opportunities. How have you continued to leverage your network to find the next best board seat for yourself? And what advice do you have to those that are looking to really sort of tap into their networks and grow their networks to do just that? Well, I think the first step is letting venture investors who may know you that you are interested in being a director I think today there is a shortage of qualified people in technology that after you know they've had some success really want to work hard as an independent director. So I've been fortunate that I've had a lot of opportunities come my way. I think my experience and I think Steve's has been that once people hear you are qualified and available, the opportunities come to you, you know, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I think Steve got on five boards and it seemed like less than a month. I mean, it, it was pretty quick. And So often it is a company's investors that approach me and ask me to meet with the CEO more than anything else. And I like working with first-time CEOs, and that is usually the opportunities that people bring to me. And I kind of vet the opportunity by usually, you know, wanting to make sure that I have the right chemistry with the CEO. So I usually do an operational review, which is nothing more than talking to each of the CEO's direct reports. And then I share with the CEO where I believe they are missing some best practices you know, how they might prioritize fixing some of those best practices. And I might mention where they have some skill set issues. And once I present this to the CEO, they kind of understand how I think and decide if they like it and if they can benefit from my advice. And I get an opportunity to understand the company's challenges and how the CEO will react to advice. And Mm -hmm. then if it feels good for both of us, we move forward. So Most of my leads have come from venture. And then in order to kind of vet the opportunity, I I like to work with them a little while to see if the chemistry is there. Steve, how about you? Obviously, you have a number of board seats now, really impressive companies that have gone through great scale. Has it been through VC connections that you've gotten the introductions initially to those businesses? Or what was the angle that you started connecting with these CEOs or boards? Yeah, the first two or three were definitely through VCs. And then after getting on those boards, I think I got one or two leads from fellow board members. And then I think in only one situation was a recruiter involved, but my introduction to the company still came through either a fellow board member or a venture capitalist. I don't remember which. And I've generally found that private companies, they usually don't use recruiters, yet public companies, they almost always do. But I've always joined the companies at the private stage. 
So, you know, I'm curious to understand, Bill, you said that you typically like to sit on the board of a company that has a first time CEO. Would love to hear a little bit more about your thought process there and why it is that that is your preference. I think like most decisions in life, you need to decide, you know, what's going to make you happy. And, you know, Steve mentioned that he is really proficient at it, enjoys going into a company at the time that it's pre-IPO. I think if you're going to join a board, you kind of have to figure out what's going to make you happy. You know, some people like to go into companies that need to be fixed. You know, others like to join boards before they have a product market fix or others at the expansion stage or others only public companies or companies about to IPO. And what I enjoy is first time CEOs where they're just beginning the expansion stage. Mm -hmm. That just makes me happy. It doesn't mean that it's right for everybody. So, but that's what I like and that's what I look for. And is it because at that point in time, they're so focused on really kind of nailing their go-to-market model and that just is very sort of a natural fit for you or... Yeah, I think so. You know, I have been with companies where eventually the CEO is very experienced and I feel like I still give valuable input, but I also start being one of those directors that largely just shows up at the board meetings. And I enjoy really participating. That would include one-on-ones with the CEOs, perhaps doing one-on-ones with other management that need help, attending management meetings. So I'm usually, you know, pretty sleeves up working with the company. And when there is a first-time CEO, that's a normal thing to do, and I enjoy it. I also like just watching a first-time CEO develop over a period of years. I want to ask a little bit about the process of getting on a board. I think a lot of people assume that it might be similar to, you know, moving into an executive role at a company, that interview process. But I've heard from a number of folks in our network that it's quite different. And a lot of times it can be a little bit more of a drawn out process. Would love to hear either of your point of view on that experience and getting on the boards that you sit on today. Typically, you're going to interview with at least a majority of the board members, maybe not every board member. And me as being an ex-CFO, the CFO is going to play a very big role in who's going to chair the audit committee. And so that would be different from a bill where maybe the CFO didn't have much or any input into his selection to a board. And it's much more driven by the CEO and other board members. And as far as the timing, I think part of it will depend on the candidate. Like when I was first chairing boards, it did take a while to go through the sequence of several meeting several board members and just the scheduling of that can take a while but and then I was kind of fortunate as I was filling up my dance card and I only had one or two slots left I was kind of able to say hey I kind of need to know pretty quickly and was able to (laughs) speed up the process a little faster than normal. My experience is that oftentimes recruiter will be involved and that kind of prolongs the process and then as Steve mentioned Unlike a management position where the CEO or whoever your superiors can just hire you, when you go on a board, the other board members have to feel comfortable, and that involves interviewing with them. I think as the CEO, I know when I formed a board, you kind of look for a mix of skills, and you don't want redundant skills. Just as you wouldn't want three ex-CFOs on the board, you wouldn't want three of me on the board. So you want a nice mix between people who can help you with the technology, can help you with operations, can help you on the finance and audit side, et cetera. So I think it's a little prolonged, but like Steve, I had some experiences that went really quick and then I had others that took quite a while. 
Would love to know how you're leveraged outside of the boardroom. Because I know you both sit on a number of boards right now, but I'm assuming a good chunk of time goes into actually spending time and working with those teams to help them in a variety of ways. Would love to hear a little bit more about what that looks like for both of you. The chair of the audit committee is maybe unique to other board members in that you're spending a lot of your non-board meeting time with the CFO and his or her staff. And typically the CFO, the controller, maybe treasurer and tax getting into those areas. And then also just kind of being a general help in building the finance and accounting function. And that's probably different than most other board members. And then other than you know, the chair of the audit committee role where you tend to see a lot of time outside the board meeting is when the company is considering either major in M&A or significant changes to the leadership team where the board members will have quite a bit of involvement outside this regularly scheduled meetings. Yeah, I think Steve does a great job at all of that. And I'm not particularly good at a lot of the things he just mentioned. I feel like my value add is mostly being a sounding board to the CEO. So My week is primarily answering the phone when the CEO needs some advice or just as often just needs to hear themselves talk Mm -hmm. so they can kind of lay out their logic and see if it makes sense to them. And I'm really just a sounding board. Also, a lot of CEOs don't know whether they had a good day, a good week, a good month. And I try to work with them on how they focus their time and make sure that the company gets the bang for the buck for their time. Because I've been around the block, I do know some best practices in the different lines of business within a company, so I get involved with that. And then just as Steve usually heads toward the audit committee, I somehow seem to always head toward the compensation committee. I've been on a zillion compensation committees, and I think that I've developed some knowledge and best practices there also. I'm curious, Steve, when you first join a board, because you're joining a board when they're a little bit later in their growth, right? And I'm assuming that The directors around the table have been in those seats for some time, maybe perhaps years. How do you come in and quickly establish your voice when you join a board? Well, I think it's typical that you would first be contributing mainly in your functional area, which for me is obviously the finance area and things like budgeting, forecasting, the financial reviews, resource allocation. And you you kind of stay in your functional area to begin with and kind of establish yourself there. What tends to take a little longer in contributing at the board level is in just in general strategy and understanding the industry, the competition, what acquisitions should be considered. In other areas like product development, where should the focus be on those R&D dollars? That's what you got to get to know the company better and the industry better. And that takes a little time. So I've generally found my initial contributions are more kind of within the traditional finance function. And then as I get to know the company and the industry, I can expand where I contribute. What would you say? Is it usually a couple quarters before you really start feeling like you're wrapping your head around the industry or is that shorter or longer ballpark? Yeah, that sounds about right. A couple quarters. I mean, certainly some companies are very good at the onboarding where you do spend a lot of time with the executives in the company kind of getting to know their areas and what issues they see. And it's probably then more the competition and pricing dynamics and competitive dynamics, win rates, that's what tends to take longer. And you just need to see that over months and quarters of reviewing the results and understanding why the trends are what they are. And Bill, you tend to join the boards, as you mentioned, uh, around the expansion stage, right? So a little bit earlier in their growth. For an independent coming in at that point in time, what advice do you have for him or her? 
The first is be honest about what value you bring to the company and make sure you feel it is significant. I think Steve would share his opinion, but we've both been on boards where there's a director that doesn't really add value and you stand out like a sore thumb. So mm-hmm. make sure that you can you know, truly be honest with yourself about the value you bring to the company. And then as I mentioned you know, before, be careful about what boards you choose to go on and make sure that the nature of what their business is, the market they're in, et cetera, is something that you're really going to enjoy. Be also careful about how many boards you get on. Once you get on about five boards, I think it is pretty much a full-time job. So make sure that's something you want to do. Also, a lot of the companies where I started at 10 million, they're now 200 million. And so you are going to go through a lot of phases. In the later phases, you don't need to dive in as much as the early phases. But at $10 million companies at expansion stage, you know, as an independent director, you are expected to not only leverage your operational or market expertise, but you should be well-informed. And that requires you to do a lot more than just attend board meetings. You have to go the extra mile to really understand the business. When you do that, you become sometimes more informed than the rest of the board. And therefore, you have to be careful what issues should remain private between you and management, and what issues need to be brought up with the board. And this can sometimes be a fine line. So you really need to develop a lot of transparency and a great relationship with the CEO. So I love that $10 million time. I think it's really exciting, but to just show up at board meetings, I think that's what you want to do. That's a long time to join a company. So you said five board seats, in your opinion, becomes more of a full-time job. What if you're an operator? What do you think is the max capacity for board seats if you have a day job as well? Well, my experience was one. You know, I have served on boards and do serve on boards today where there's an active operator on the board. And I think with one, it's kind of refreshing that you can get out of your own situation and let your mind kind of wander with different problems. But I've never seen a operator really capable of taking on more than one or potentially two outside boards. Mm. Yeah, I would agree with that. And you also find many more established companies, they typically have a policy where you can only join one board and sometimes it's zero, but if it's one, they kind of say, pick well, because you only get to do one. Yeah, I think I've heard of, you know, some companies are very supportive of it, others a little bit more cautious of what sort of commitment that would entail for its top execs. So understandable both ways. I guess this is kind of parlaying off my last question. But, you know, I'd love to have you fill in the blank, almost like a Mad Libs, if you will. You aren't ready for a board if. And Steve, I'm going to direct you to that one. Bill gave us a really good synopsis there. But what are your thoughts? Well, certainly, uh, as Bill mentioned, you have to be able to make the time commitment. And Bill and I did experience one new board member who, within a couple quarters, realized he wasn't able to make the time commitment. So that was too bad because it cost us about a year before finally getting the right person in that slot. But I think another thing you have to consider, I have talked to several CEOs who know that they would not enjoy being a board member because they love being the final decision maker and they don't think they could handle being an advisor. Now, that usually isn't a problem with the CFO type because I think the CFOs typically are more often an advisor to the CEO in a lot of the more major decisions. But you have to know that your personality is such that you could be comfortable being more of an advisor. Not every piece of advice you give will be taken. It'll definitely be listened to and understood. But again, you're not going to be the key decision maker. And for some people, they know that that doesn't match their personality. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with Steve. In fact, when you asked the question, that's exactly what I was thinking. I think if you are not ready to be an advisor 
rather than the real decision maker, you know, if you want to be in the limelight, boards won't be much fun for you because it is a supporting role. Do you think that a good launch point for someone who's interested in exploring board seats long term is that sort of advisory function? I think, Bill, I've seen that you've played advisor to a number of companies as well. Steve, I'm sure you've done the same. Is that a sort of a good path to get to the boardroom? I think sometimes it is. You know, advisor is one of those words. You're not really sure what it means. But I've been an advisor for several companies where I actually am in the boardroom during the board meetings. I've also been associated as an advisor where it was kind of a trial period to see if it made sense for me to go on the board. And I think in either one of those examples, you're right, it's a great place to ramp up and go on the board. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. And it's usually easier to get a board advisor role. Typically, the CEO alone can make that decision, whereas being a board member, you need usually a majority of the board to interview you, get to know you. So I would definitely advise either being a formal board advisor or just doing some consulting work for the company. And probably your first board or two, you're going to have to be at a company where you know that space pretty well and you have experience in a very close space to that. Maybe it's not a competitor of a company where you're working, but it's close enough, maybe complementary product where you know it pretty well and you can add a lot of value initially. Well, you guys have offered some great advice today. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your stories with us and also appreciate the great work that you've done with OpenView and with the companies in our portfolio serving on boards. So again, thanks for your time and really appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you're listening to podcasts these days. And please give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Outside of podcasts, we produce content daily on OpenView Labs. You can also follow us on Twitter at OpenView Venture and subscribe to our newsletter that's sent out to over 100,000 SaaS operators every Saturday morning by going to openviewpartners.com forward slash newsletter. Until next time.